Welcome to River of Life, and thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy this teaching, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or friend. Also, visit River of Life this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. If you got your Bibles and you would like to follow along, we have got a special treat for you tonight. Um, we have got something incredible uh, to look at today. Um, Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. Romans 9, 20 to 24. And the title of our lesson or our message tonight is Vessels of Mercy. Vessels of, of Mercy. I want to begin tonight before we get to our passage. And I want to ask a question that I haven't asked uh, so far in our study of this chapter. And that is, why do we need Romans 9? Why do we need this chapter? Have you ever thought, I ask myself sometimes, what if this chapter just wasn't in the Bible? Do I really miss anything? Does it change anything? If, if I mean, obviously, it's there. It's biblical. I, I've said it often. I didn't write it. I didn't make it up. It's sitting right there. Paul put it there. So God, through the, through the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write this. So obviously, it's there for a reason and for a purpose. So what is it? Well, it turns out that Romans 9 is not only biblical. It also turns out to be very practical. You see, the fact is, and I'm not sure this happens to everybody. I can tell you that it's happened to me. And I also know some of your stories, and I know it's happened to you. Some of us in our life come to a place where our faith is shaken to its very foundation. Sometimes that may happen because of a loss of a, of a close loved one. It may happen because of the dissolution of a marriage. It may happen because of a a diagnosis of a, of a fatal illness. But sometimes things come into our life that literally shake us to our very core. Shake us to the, our, our faith that we've always had is, is literally shaken. And when that happens to us as Christians, what, what is it that we need to hear? What, 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 what is it that we need people to tell us? Do we need these, these pithy little sayings that our culture gives us? Like, well, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Is that what we need? No. No, those types of things are useless. We're talking about, we're talking about faith-shaking catastrophes in our life. I don't need anything like that. Now, you may say, well, I just need somebody to tell me that God loves me. Now, let me tell you, folks, that's a great thing. That's a wonderful thing to know. But I'm here to tell you, when something like that strikes your life to the point that it shakes the very foundation of your faith, there's something you need even more than God loves you, and that is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is in control. I'm going to tell you that in my life, this knowledge, this truth that my God is sovereign has become an anchor for my soul. And I know many of you can tell me the exact same things. I, I mentioned that I, I first taught through Romans 9 Back in 2000, I'm sorry, Romans as a book in 2012, 2013. By the way, it took me two years. It's not going to take us that long, but it took me two years. And uh, I often go back to my notes from eight or nine uh, uh, years ago. 
And I went back this week and I looked at my notes on Romans 9 for the lesson that we're teaching tonight. And I found this. I, I wrote this down um, uh, 2013, so about eight years ago. And I said this. Have you ever considered that what is coming to us in the 21st century may be catastrophic? A time when everything we ever knew of earthly securities will fail. Now listen, I'm not a prophet. To be honest with you, I just wrote that, just kind of a generic thing. You know, what if, right? But have you ever thought of what's happened since then? Since I wrote that, Supreme Court has legalized gay marriage. Since I, I wrote that, this thing has come in, this delusional insanity has come into our society of something called gender fluidity. Would you have ever thought in April of 2013 if I'd have said, you know, in eight years they're going to let a man compete as a woman just because he says he's a woman? You'd have thought, that's the craziest thing I ever heard, but it's staring us in the face. Things like defund police and critical race theory and COVID-19 vaccine mandates, all of these things, folks, if you don't realize it, are, are tearing at the very structural fabric of our culture and our society. What if... What if everything we've grown up with and, and taught and believed is torn out from under us? Here's my question. Is the God you serve big enough and strong enough and holy enough and majestic enough and sovereign enough to be the God of that America? Let me tell you, the God of Romans 9 certainly is. The God of Romans 9 certainly is. Listen, when, we, when Paul started in Romans 9, he was dealing with a problem. And the problem was it looks like God's word had, had failed the Jews and he's dealing with it. Has God's word failed? But folks, he, he, he took care of that way back in verse 12. Ever since then, Paul has been painting a picture. And this picture that he's painting is of a God who is absolutely sovereign. He is in control of every molecule in this universe. And let me tell you, that is why we need Romans 9. That's why we need Romans 9. Listen. Is Romans 9 hard? Yes. Can it be difficult to understand? Yes. Can it be hard to accept? Yes. But let me tell you, you don't come out of Romans 9 thinking that you're serving a God with hands tied behind his back. You don't come out of Romans 9 thinking you're, you're serving some puny little God that you just hope might be able to pull it off. No, you serve a God that is sovereign. That's why we need Romans 9. Now, let's turn to our verses. I said to you when we started this chapter that... Um, we were leaving, in my opinion, the greatest chapter in the Bible, which was Romans 8. And we were going into the most controversial chapter in the Bible, which is Romans 9. And I also told you at the time, we're going to deal with some pretty heavy subjects. And we have, right? Uh, Romans uh, uh, 9.13, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. We, we dealt with that. And we got to Romans 9.18, therefore he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. We, we dealt with that. We've dealt with some pretty deep stuff. But let me tell you, if you looked at it on a graph, tonight is as deep as it gets. Tonight is as absolutely deep as it uh, gets. Now, let's first set the scene of where we are in verse 20. In verse 18, Paul in 19, Paul has said this, So then... He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And of course, it's that statement that creates the objection of verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Now, one of the things we've seen in Romans 9 is that God chooses. 
God makes choices. Sometimes he chooses to show mercy. Sometimes he chooses to harden. The question before us tonight is why is this right for God to do? We may not like it. We may not understand it. We may not agree with it. But the question before us is why is this right for God to do and not wrong for God to do? Now listen, Paul's going to give us three answers. He's actually going to give us two reasons and then one answer. But I'll just, for the sake of conversation, he's going to give us three answers. Now, one of the answers he's already given us. Okay, and I'm going to go back and review it for you. I'm going to go back and read verses 14 through 18. And I want to show you what Paul did. In verse 13, uh, 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 Paul's just made this incredibly provocative statement. He said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now, he picks this up in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, is God wrong for doing that? And Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or effort, but on God who has mercy. Then Paul flips the coin and says, yeah, let's look at the other side of this. For the scripture says to Pharaoh... For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And he quotes Exodus 9.16, and of course that leads to verse 18. So then, this is the conclusion, Paul says, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens on whomever he wills. Now, when we talked through that lesson two weeks ago, I told you that 19 times in the book of Exodus... It talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. 19 times. Three times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Seven times it says uh, his heart was hardened. It's passive. In other words, it doesn't tell us if Pharaoh hardened his heart. It doesn't tell us that God did it. It just says his heart was hardened. But nine times, nine times in that book, or in that uh, book of Exodus, it says specifically God hardened his heart or God would harden his heart. Now, here's the thing. Paul already knows what he's going to say in verse 18. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills. He hardens whomever he wills. So he needs a verse. He needs to go back into the Old Testament and pull out a verse and prove or validate his statement that God hardens whomever he wills. Paul could have used, he had nine choices. Nine times in that book, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So he had nine specific choices of Scripture to use. For example, he could have used Exodus 9, 12. Now watch how good this fits. He could have said, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. That's Exodus 9, 12. So then... He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens. That would have been, that would have been an, a, 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 a perfect fit. Would you agree? If that's what you wanted to prove, why would you not uh, use one of those scriptures? But he doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't use any of those nine scriptures at all. In fact, when Paul looks for a scripture to back up his assertion that God hardens whom he wills, this is the passage that he chooses, Exodus 9.16. For this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, that's odd, isn't it? He could have picked nine scriptures that said God hardened, but he doesn't pick any of them. He picks this one. Now, my, I always ask these questions. Why would you do that, Paul? 
Why did you forego the nine that I would have picked and go for that one? Well, I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? Because Paul, he's more interested not just in showing you that God hardens. He wants you to see the reason. He wants you to see his purpose, why he does it. And this is the one verse in that book that says it. Let's read it together. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Listen, one of the greatest truths you'll ever get in the Bible is this. God's ultimate purpose in everything that He does is to bring glory to His name. That is an incredible truth. Everything He does, its ultimate purpose... Now listen, God's incredible. He can do a million things and accomplish a million purposes at one time. But His ultimate purpose, His end game, is always to bring glory to His name. If, if He brings blessings and wealth and, and a new job into your life, His purpose is to bring glory to His name. But if He allows sickness or tragedy or something like that or suffering to come into your life, guess what? He wants to bring glory to His name. I prayed right here for Miss Betty. I said, I know, Lord, that getting old and getting to the end is hard. But even at this time, through her suffering, bring glory to Your name. Bring glory. Even at this point in her life, make her more like you. Let her, let people see Jesus on her. Bring glory to your name. That is his purpose. Listen, sometimes showing mercy does that. But sometimes hardening does that. So this is our very first answer that Paul gives us. Why is it right for God to choose in this way? Because it brings glory to his name. Now, this is answer number two. Let's turn to tonight's passage verses. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. Paul says this, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And this is Paul's answer. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Um, as best I can remember, back in high school, we learned about analogies. Okay, An analogy is when you compare two things that are not exactly alike, but they have similarities, right? I can remember one of the things they always taught us about analogies is, as a way to remember is boy is to girl like man is to woman, right? They're, they're not the same, but they're very similar. Well, this is Paul's analogy. Man is to God as clay is to the potter. Man is to God as clay is to the potter. You see, here's what we need to see. When that potter, and I don't know anything about making pottery. I, they, they sit down, something spins around. And something comes out of it. That's really all I know. But this is what I do know. When that potter sits down at that wheel, he doesn't just throw that lump on there and say, well, let's just see what happens. Right? When a potter sits down at a wheel, he's got a purpose. He's got a plan in mind for what he's, he or she is going to make. Maybe he's got an order for some, some teapots that's going to be used at a campground. Or maybe he's got an order for a vase that's going to go in a king's palace. But when he sits down at that wheel, he's got a plan. He's got purpose. He's got reasons for what he's doing. Let me tell you, God is exactly the same. 
God's not winging it. God's not hoping. When it comes to us, He knows what He's doing. He knows when to do it, how to do it, where to do it, how long to take to do it. He's got a plan in place, just like the potter. And we are what? A lump of clay. Now listen, the thing with analogies are, you can't take analogies too far. You can't go too far. Obviously, a lump of clay and us, we're different. We, we can reason. We're rational beings. We make decisions. We make choices. We're responsible for those choices. We're not, in a sense, as dumb as a, as a, a lump of clay. So what is it that Paul wants us to see? What is similar about us? Remember, man is to God like clay is to potter. What's similar about this relationship that Paul wants us to see? I think his argument is simply this. As great as you think you are, as smart as I think I am, as advanced as we think we are, and evolved as we think we are, and as moral as we think we are, compared to God, we are like a lump of clay to a potter. There is an infinite qualitative difference between a human being sitting on a, 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 a potter's wheel and that lump of clay. And it would be incredibly crazy for a lump of clay to ever try to criticize the, 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 the potter for what it's doing with it. In the same way, Paul wants us to see that there is so much of a difference between our God and us that it would not only be foolish for us to criticize Him and question Him, it would be wrong for us to do that. I, let me, if I can, take a little bit of liberty. I want to enhance this with my own analogy. This is an analogy I've used for years. Some of my analogies are really dumb, but they help me and maybe they'll help you. I want you to think for a moment about a world that's made up, just this is a hypothetical world. It's made up of completely of plants. Every living thing on this world or in this world is a plant. They all have roots. They're all just stuck wherever they are. Now, in this hypothetical world of plants, they can talk. They can socialize. They believe in God. Again, it's just a hypothetical world, but they're all plants. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to imagine one plant is arguing with another plant. And one plant says, you know, I think God could probably create uh, creatures that move around the earth. And one plant says, are you crazy? <laughs> how, how could they do that? How would you pick your roots up and carry them with you? And by the way, if God made a creature without roots, where would they get their nourishment from? Where would they get the liquid, the food to, to, to nourish them and, and let them grow? See, here's what you need to see. The problem with the plants is they would be limiting God based on their own experiences. Just because they've never seen a creature that can walk around and eat out of its mouth, they think, well, that's impossible. You ever heard anything like that? How can God choose us and then hold us responsible for choosing Him? That's impossible. That can't be. That makes no sense. Let's go find some other crazy uh, interpretation. See, you and I, are, is ex we're exactly the same. We have an incredibly difficult time grasping ideas and concepts that are outside our box. That are outside our realm of experience. Listen to me. That's why God says over and over and over again, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. 
Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. In fact, God has His own analogy here. Just as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Ecclesiastes 3.11, He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's put eternity in their hearts, except nobody can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Psalms 145, His greatness is unsearchable. Psalms 147, His understanding is infinite. Romans 11.33, His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are past finding out. I'm not like you. Don't put me in your box. Don't think I can't do things just because they're not in the realm of your experience. Wayne Grudem says this, It is not only, I want you to think about this. It is not only true that we can never fully understand God. It is also true that we can never fully understand any single thing about God. We can know something about His love, His mercy, His power. We can know truths about God. We can know that God is loving, that God is powerful, that He's merciful, that He's holy. But we can never know any single trait exhaustively. Think about that for a moment. If if right now... You pick one trait of God, His justice, His righteousness, His love, His mercy, His holiness. Just pick one. And you dedicated yourself for the rest of your life, every waking moment, to study about that and meditate about that and read about that. And you spent the rest of your life pursuing that one thing. When you died, you wouldn't even have scratched the surface of one thing about God. And listen, we certainly don't know enough about God to elevate our standards and our morals and our insights to the point where we ever point at God and say, you're wrong. In the immortal words of the Apostle Paul, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to question what God does? Romans 9, 21, Paul says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable. This is Paul's second answer. Why is this right to do? It's not a reason. It's an answer. Paul says you are in no position to question him. You're in no position to question him. How dare you? How dare you try to do that? Who do you think you are? Number three. This third argument... I'm going to show you in a moment what I think is one of the greatest verses in the Bible that nobody knows about. (laughs) Nobody knows about it. And it, it is absolutely incredible. This third argument goes as deep as you can possibly get into the reasons why not only is God right to choose, but why God is right to allow things like sin and evil and guilt and punishment. It goes that deep. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, there, I don't even think I can do it justice. It, it's that deep and it's that good. And I've got 10 minutes to do it. And I'm not going to do that much in 10 minutes. I would really strongly encourage you to go home, read this verse, meditate on this verse, study on this verse. Let this verse speak to you because it is absolutely Incredible. Let's read verses 22 to 24. Paul says this, What if God, 
desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I've often heard in books and in in our culture and, and people say things like, how could God allow the evil that's in this world? If God is so great, if God is so glorious like the Bible and Christians say He is, why does He let this stuff go on? In, in fact, the question could be made, is God less glorious because He has allowed and ordained things like evil and sin and guilt and punishment in this world? Does that make Him less of a God, less sovereign, less glorious? This is Paul's answer. No. No, in fact, it's just the opposite. Go back and read that again. What if God, say it with me, desiring? What if God wanting to show His wrath, wanting to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy? Verse 23, if you got it, look at it there in front of you. This is an incredible verse. I'm going to look at three things in this verse. Okay? By the way, notice we're talking about His answer. Why does God do things? Why is God right? He just said, in order, in order, in order. I want to show you three things about this. Number one, in order to make known the riches of His glory. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to read you a statement by Jonathan Edwards. I want you to listen carefully, and then I'm going to ask you whether you agree with it or not. Okay? So I want you to think about it. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you in a moment, do you agree with it? He said this. By the way, he lived in the 1700s. He said this. It is a proper or right and excellent thing for infinite glory to shine forth. For the same reason, it is proper that the shining forth of God's glory should be complete. That is, all parts of His glory should shine forth, that every beauty should be proportionally radiant, so that the beholder may have a proper notion of God. It is not proper or right that one glory should be exceedingly manifested, and another not at all. Now, let me explain what he's saying. Ron, stand up there for me. Ron Huddleston, hello. (laughs) Y'all know Ron? All right, you can sit down, Ron. Thank you. Ron is a good friend of mine. He is a godly man, um, long-time member of this church. I'm sure some of you don't know Ron, right? Anybody here don't know Ron? Raise your hand if you don't know him. Okay, good. So there's Ron. I just told you a little bit about him. What you may not know about Ron is that Ron um, retired from the Navy. Okay? Now, if I just stop right there, that would tell you a little bit more about Ron, wouldn't it? He served his country. He's patriotic. But what you don't know was what he do in the Navy. Was he a, was he a cook? No, Ron threw, flew jets in the Navy. He's a, he's a jet pilot. Well, that just changed things a little bit, didn't it? Do you look at Ron a little bit different? Yes? Well, did you know that he not only flew jets, he landed those jets on aircraft carriers in the middle of an ocean. 
Not only that, he landed that jet on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean at night with no lights. Now, right now, that you just said, well, that guy's brave. <laughs> that guy's got nerves of steel. You see, the fact is, you can see Ron one way, but until you know all the facts about Ron, you'll never really know Ron. See, the same thing is true about God. You see, the fact is that I could sit here all day and just talk about the love of God. The love of God. The love of God. But that's the only thing you'll ever know about Him. At, 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 wor at best, you end up uh, with a, a, a misinterpretation or an incomplete picture of God. At worst, you end up with a caricature of God. You see, if you really want to know who God is, if He wants to be really glorious, then you've got to know about His love and His mercy and His grace and His wrath, and His justice, and His punishment, and His... Are you with me? See, that is the riches of His glory. That's what Jonathan Edwards is saying. It's not right to elevate one thing about God, but not elevate everything else. Now, do you agree with that statement? Think carefully. Do you agree with that statement? This is the next thing he said. This could not be unless sin and punishment had been decreed. For there would be no manifestation of God's grace if there was no sin to be pardoned, no misery to be saved from. Have you ever thought about it? How, how can you know about God's grace if there's no sin? How can you know about God's mercy if there's no wrath to be delivered from? Think, think about this in our life. How could you know what beauty is if you've never seen ugliness? How could you understand and appreciate light if there's no such thing as darkness? How could you know what it means to even be holy if there was no such thing as sin? How could you know and appreciate true peace if you've never been afraid in your life? How could you, there be real grace without punishment? How could there be mercy without wrath? You see, the fact is... In order for us to appreciate God's grace and His mercy, there has to be sin. There has to be evil. There has to be punishment. There has to be these bad things or we would never appreciate God for who He really is. Are you with me? See, when it talks about the riches of His glory, it's talking about all aspects of His character. What if God, what if God desiring to show His wrath, desiring to show His power, in order to show the riches of His glory to who? Vessels of mercy. Who is that? Anybody know? That's us. That's me and you. Read verses 23 and 24. In order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called. Us. We are the vessels of mercy. Listen, listen, Romans 9 can be tough and it can be hard. And we start thinking about all the choosing and why is this person saved and why is that person saved? And, and we're not careful. Let me just refocus one for just a moment. If you are a vessel of mercy, that means you do not deserve to be a Christian. You do not deserve to be a Christian. You've never done anything in your life 
to merit or earn or deserve to be a Christian. You don't deserve to be chosen. You don't deserve to be called. You don't deserve to be saved. There's nothing in any of us that's ever influenced God to do that. He did it. That's what mercy is. If you received anything good in your life, it's because of God's mercy. Now, here's the last thing. In order to make known the riches of His glory, all aspects of His character to people who are saved. He wants us to see that. And He gives one more description of us who have been prepared beforehand for glory. Prepared beforehand for glory. Listen, if you are a vessel of mercy, if you're a Christian, you were prepared to know and see God's glory. God did that. And by the way, He did it out of the same lump of people and humanity of people who could care less about God's glory. In fact, if you go back to Romans 1, listen to the description of an unbeliever. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God. Changed His glory, exchanged it for images made out of wood resembling birds and animals and human beings and creeping things. They, they, you're made for His glory and they exchange it for a piece of wood. But not us. Not us. Listen, if you're here tonight, and even in the least bit, you can see and savor the glory of God in any measure, you didn't get that on your own. You didn't earn that. You weren't born that way. God did that. God molded you and shaped you. And in some of your case, He pounded you. He pounded you into a vessel that could recognize who He is. That's the vessels of mercy. This is Paul's third answer. Why is it right for God not only to choose, but why is it right for God to allow these things in the world? Because it shows His glory most fully to His vessels of mercy so they can worship Him most completely for eternity. That's His answer. I want to close with this. To know His glory. That's why you're here. That's why you're on this earth. That's why you were created. That's why you were saved and called. That's why you were regenerated, born again, to know His glory. That's your very purpose for existence. Romans 19, I'm sorry, Psalms 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. We all know that. Folks, listen to me. That does not mean that stars and constellations and comets and and the sun and the moon and sunrises and sunsets, that does not mean they are the glory of God. They declare the glory of God. They are reflections. They are mere shadows. They are the appetizer of what's to come. They're just an appetizer. It's like God saying, you see this? I'm like that, but a million times better. Listen to me. There is something coming to each one of us that is indescribable. It's coming. It is indescribable. The world is growing worse and worse and worse. And for some reason, he just looks better and better and better. What we, we are going to see things and know things and understand things that's never even entered into our imagination. We need to get this down deep inside of us right now. This is what you're made for. 
You're made to get to heaven. You're made to spend eternity with the Son. You're made to know His glory. Don't wait. Get it down deep inside. Let that drive who you are. Are you living for this today? Are you, is this what you're living for, to know His glory? Is this your passion? It, 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 you know, when something comes into your life, be it a blessing or be it, be it a suffering, that should be our first thought. How's God, how's God going to be glorified through this? How can I see His glory through this thing? Are we living for this? I want to close with just a few minutes at the altar. And I, want to, I just want to ask you something tonight. Are you compromising? Are you compromising in your life? We, we should be creatures, vessels of mercy that are just going through this life, man. And we, I mean, we are, on a, we, are, we are headed towards something that's indescribable. And nothing is going to hold us back. And yet every day, Paul says, we need to set aside the sin that so easily besets us. Every day it's pulling us. It's pulling us. Come over here. Come over here. Compromise a little here. Compromise a little there. Are you compromising in your life? Are, are, you, are you listening to things, watching things, saying things, doing things, hearing things? You know it's not right. Tonight, I want you to just take an opportunity. We're going to come spend a little bit of time at the altar. And let's just refocus, if we can. Take this opportunity to refocus. Realize who we are as a vessel of mercy. Why we've been created. The things that we're going to know and we're going to see. Don't stop now. Don't stop now. The day of our salvation is nearer than the day we began. It is really close. For some of y'all, it's really close. But it's, it's close, right? <laughs> my dad. Today's my dad's birthday. He's 84. I called him last night before his birthday and said, happy birthday. He said, why are you calling me tonight? Tomorrow's my birthday. I said, man, as old as you are, you might not even make it to tomorrow. I got <laughs> I to get it in early. Listen, don't quit, man. I don't care if you're 14 or 34 or 54 or 84. It's close. It's close. He's coming. It's real. It's going to be indescribable. Press on, battle, fight, don't compromise. Do whatever you need to do because the glory that we're going to see is not worth comparing in the same sentence to anything that we can endure right here. Thank you again for joining us today at River of Life. If this teaching has touched you today or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850 850- 926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7pm in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions. Music